Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 344 of the podcast. It's July 2nd, 2019. Joining me today is David B. Reed. He's a mechanical engineer whose career has taken him from doing improvement work at Michelin Tire to being a pastor for over a decade, and now he's helping lead the Chick-fil-A restaurant chain improve through lean and Kaizen practices and mindsets. I was really excited to see the cover story that was in or was on the cover of the May 2019 issue of ISC Magazine. That's the magazine of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers. The headline inside read, From Lean Modules to a Lean Mindset. Chick-fil-A's success shows how leveraging your greatest asset speeds up cultural change. And of course, that greatest asset is their employees and their team members. They have more than 2,000 stores. And in the episode, David describes them as each being a little food manufacturing facility. Each one is about a $6 million manufacturing plant. So today I get to ask David about some of the drivers. What are some of the reasons why Lean um, is is needed or why Lean uh, is helpful at Chick-fil-A? I mean, it's already a high growth company with many happy customers and employees. How do they influence the owner operators of the stores to embrace Lean and to then engage every employee in continuous improvement? Why did they learn that a top-down engineering-driven model couldn't possibly drive enough improvement? How does a Facebook page enter the equation for employees? And note that, that using Facebook was in and of itself an employee idea. They, why do they use a Facebook page instead of building an app or buying an app? There are many great nuggets of wisdom in here from David. That pun is absolutely intended. And it's the only Chick-fil-A related pun I could think of. So uh, maybe you can think of your own. I uh, hope that doesn't distract you from the episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. If you want to uh, post a comment or uh, see a link to different things we mentioned, you can go to leanblog.org slash 344. So again, we are joined today by David Reed. David, thank you for joining us. How are you? Mark, uh, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Doing well today. Well, good. Um, I, I loved your article. And you know, before we talk about lean at Chick-fil-A and, and some of the really interesting, impactful things that, that are happening there. You always like to ask, you know, you're, you're my guest, if you can introduce yourself, talk a little bit about um, your career and, and a lean practitioner. Everyone's got an interesting story and a path to, to all of this. What's yours? Yeah. So actually, I'm a mechanical engineer from Georgia Tech from uh, a long time ago. And uh, my senior design project uh, was really interesting. So this is thermo principles and all those kinds of things. But my prof would put us in group of of threes and fours and pose a money saving problem to us for it happened to be a big hotel in Atlanta, the Weston Peachtree Plaza, and he would couch it all in engineering terms, like, "Hey, on the coldest day of the year, what? How should the Peachtree Plaza heat the building?" And then he would lecture for about two weeks on all the different, you know, physical principles that were involved in that. Uh, we would look at utility rates, all those things. And then we would go away. And with all these resources, we would write a 10 page paper on what's the most economical way to, to heat the building. 
And then the the really interesting thing was he would read all the papers, have about 10 papers from a class of 40 students, uh, pick the best one, you know, give that gr- group an A, and then he would go sell that solution to the Western Peachtree Plaza. <laughs> and so uh, I I really loved that idea of let's take engineering principles and use them to solve real world business problems. And uh, when I interviewed for my first job out uh, after college, uh, I interviewed with Michelin Tire Company, and I was kind of passionate about that example and and uh, what we had done to to really save money. And Michelin said, well, that's what industrial engineers at Michelin do. And uh, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And so we uh, went to work for Michelin. They trained me as industrial engineer. Uh, I worked there for five years, uh, really tightening up standards, learning about systems, learning about process, and loved everything about it. Um, really didn't call it lean at that point. We talked a lot about just-in-time production, uh, but it was actually later. Uh, so just a side note, I, I left Michelin and went to seminary and then pastored a church for 10 years. But when I went back into engineering, uh, I kept hearing everybody talking about lean. And I'm like, what in the world has changed that I don't even know about? And uh, I got to uh, kind of taking some refresher courses and I realized a lot of it was the same industrial engineering principles and certainly recognized that Toyota had uh, done a great job of uh, applying principles to reduce waste and satisfy the customer in such a elegant way that touched uh, every part of the process. It touched how, you know, people approach problems. And from that point on, it was just sold on it and have been a student of lean and read everything I can get my hands on. So that's, that's kind of how I got here. And, um, you know, at this point, I, I Kanban things we buy at home for groceries. I five S everything so I can find my keys and, and, uh, pretty much, uh, my first, you know, thought of, when I come up with any kind of problem is, you know, what's the lean approach to fixing this? Yeah. And so um, how did you, how did you end up at Chick-fil-A? Yeah. uh, So I told you I was a pastor for 10 years. And um, then uh, after 10 years of church planting, uh, my, my family needed a break and I needed a break. And um, I was looking to come back in engineering and actually got a headhunter call looking for a Michelin industrial engineer to work at Chick-fil-A. Uh, and the story there is my boss was a Michelin IE 25 years ago. I was a Michelin IE 15 years ago. And he just liked the way they approached the world. They're very systematic approach to uh, studying all the posts in the system, coming up with a continuous improvement plan for every post. And and so, you know, no matter what what you're talking about within the factory, you've got a plan for, you know, when is it going to become a bottleneck? When, you know, when does it need uh, uh, better quality, those kinds of things. And so he was looking for somebody like that. Uh, my first thought about Chick-fil-A was uh, the, the headhunter uh, said, you know, they, uh, one recent thing they're doing is, is analyzing their oven capacity. And I love capacity modeling, but uh, for some reason, oven capacity just didn't sound sexy. And when I told my wife, she said, well, what's so sexy about tires and concrete? So <laughs> two other industries I've been in. Yeah. And uh, the the neat thing is, as I, as I began to work with Chick-fil-A, I found out it's really $2,000, $6 million 
manufacturing plants that each have different product mixes. They make a perishable product with a variable demand. So you can't just, uh, you know, I, I always joke to my engineers, when I made tires, you could make a thousand tires an hour at two o'clock in the morning. Chicken yeah. sandwiches, you you can only make the, <laughs> a lot of them between 11 and one. Uh, so really, uh, it's, it does have an amazing amount of, of uh, lean uh, applications mm -hmm. in, in the quick service food industry. Yeah. And so when we talk about oven capacity, does each location, where, where, where are the ovens? They're, they're not baking their own buns or products there at the no, store, are they? Uh, great, great question. Not buns, but biscuits. So it, biscuits, for breakfast, okay. we, uh, and we, yeah. we actually uh, hand roll our dough and, and make uh, hand, handmade fresh biscuits every day. We're, we're, the, the listeners wouldn't know this, but we're recording this during breakfast hours. So uh, I should have been, I should have had biscuits on the brain. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, uh, and yeah. cookies, bacon, um, and also macaroni and cheese, which is just in the process of rolling out, probably not in the stores yet. Those, those are the four things that we cook in the oven. Oh, okay. So, um, so I'm really curious, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A has been, Oh, oh, I think, you know, by all measures, a really successful business. Um, the, I think of the, the Chick-fil-A experience, uh, the, the product is delicious. The service is speedy, but yet also courteous, like exceedingly courteous, good customer service. Like what, what, what's the case, what's the, the rationale or the need or the opportunity for lean? I say this half tongue in cheek, like it doesn't seem like Chick-fil-A needs to improve much, but there's always room. There's always room for improvement, but what's what's the compelling need uh, for Chick-fil-A leaders? Yeah, Mark, thank you, first of all, for the kind comments. And it's really our operators and team members all around the country that that uh, give us that incredible reputation. So thank you for that. Uh, it, here, here's the best way I can think of it. it. You may have heard this African proverb, uh, every day in Africa, a lion, wake, uh, and a, a gazelle wakes up knowing that he has to outrun uh, the fastest lion or he's going to be eaten. Every day in Africa, a lion wakes up knowing he's got to outrun the slowest gazelle or he's going to starve. And so the moral of the story is no matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle, when the sun comes up, you better be running. <laughs> and I think for Chick-fil-A, uh, we have had an amazing growth really over the last five years, we've doubled from five and a half billion to uh, 10.6 billion in sales uh, from, from 2014 to 2018. Um, and there's, we're really kind of experiencing uh, Jim Collins flywheel effect that, that there's been a lot of people pushing on the exact right things for a long time. And, and it's just kind of blown up on us uh, in the last several years. But uh, we want to stay there. We want to, uh, our goal is to satisfy our customers, uh, to uh, second mile service is one of our core values. So we want to actually not just be, you know, a place where you get a, a decent sandwich, but we want to be the most food safe place in America that provides the fastest service that, you know, meets you where you are. And so with all these dreams we have of how to, uh, serve the customer in the best possible way that meets their needs. Uh, there's lots of challenges that need to be solved as our supply chain grows, as we, you know, the, the biggest thing with growth is uh, 
we run the risk of slowing down our service because there's so many people ahead of you who want Chick-fil-A. And so that's, that's kind of our uh, mantra right now is how do we keep providing convenience and speed even as we're doing bigger volumes. And so one, one of the things that you mentioned in the IISE article, um, talking about, um, you know, the drive-throughs and, and during peak times, um, you know, there, there are some things done you, you can see as a customer to help um, uh, speed up the flow. And, 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 and there was something in the article about 300 cars per hour. Is that, is that goal or is, is that per lane or there are some Chick-fil-A's that have two lanes for drive through yeah. I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the, some of that challenge and, 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 and how the drive through lanes are improved in different ways. Yeah, that's a great question. And if you think about it, um, drive through is, is a manufacturing process. There's, there's, uh, you know, if you think about it, 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 we we actually draw maps that shows, you know, first of all, a customer is hungry and then they decide that they want to eat with us. Then they get in our line. Then they decide what particular things they want on the menu. Then they have to communicate to that, uh, that to us in an order. Then there's a transaction exchange that happens where they pay for their order. We repeat back to them, uh, you know, a quality step of, of uh, hey, this is what you ordered. We got it right that kicks off um, a manufacturing process in the kitchen to cook the food that you want. And then there's uh, the delivery and handoff. So you've got this whole process going on and we actually got the, the marrying up of the food and the marrying up of the order taking all meeting together at the window. And so if you want to decrease that cycle time, what you have to do is start looking at all of those steps as not one serial thing that goes on, but as multiple steps that you could potentially do in parallel. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about the original drive through was just, you came up to a window, you ordered, and then you got your food at that same window. Uh, I don't know, back in the seventies, maybe um, restaurants started, having an order box up ahead and that lets you take the order and start working on the food before the, you know, before the person gets to the front, we've actually just taken that concept and and pushed it out as far as we can. So we're doing things now like walking up the lane with an iPad and taking your order way before you get to the window. And what that allows us to do is it allows us to start making your food quicker and we can take your payment, and that doesn't even happen at the window anymore. Uh, we've started designing our drive-throughs with an exit lane, so that you're not trapped. Say you just need a number one, but the car in front of you's got four different orders. Well, if if we can walk down upstream and give you your order, then you can pull out, and we actually theoretically you're getting zero time on that car at the window because we gave you your order before you even got to the window. So there's things like that, that we do. Um, 300 is kind of our theoretical maximum right now. Uh, first thing you have to do is have unlimited demand. And there are a lot of restaurants, <laughs> particularly in Texas mm-hmm. that, uh, do just have constant cars. And, um, very often we will, we will be delivering orders up to four cars back from the window so that yeah. as soon as your food's ready, you get to go ahead and leave and never even have to make it to the window. 
And so part of that is is design of making sure that there's, let's say, to the right of your vehicle, there's no curb that prevents you from from pulling out. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, also, you know, if we're going to have team members walking up and down uh, the aisle delivering to cars, we we actually build a safety lane where, you know, foot traffic can go for the team members to walk up and down so that, you know, cars aren't getting close to their feet Um, in hot and cold places. We have canopies that provide shade and air conditioning and even heaters uh, so that team members can can work outside and uh, and still be comfortable. Um, we're experimenting. We've got about three restaurants now that actually have a door at the drive-through window, and so you can actually walk up and down. You know, walk right outside the restaurant and and go up and down. Uh, the one thing we try not to do is to push you ahead and say, "Wait." Uh, if you've ever been to any fast food restaurant and they tell you to pull ahead that generally means they've crashed and uh, you're the one holding them up and we'll we'll help you after we get everything back under control and that's not a good feeling as a customer yeah i've seen some drive-through lanes will have like two parking spots with signs like it's almost an expected designed in part of the process at that point. that's right that's right um so one one, one question um I was, i'm just curious about the production process um, what's the mix of um, how much is assembled to order versus how much is cooked to order in terms yeah. of the chicken and the different components uh, that go into um, sandwiches, for example? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, our breaded entrees, so that's your fillets, nuggets, strips, uh, those things have a 20-minute hold time. And so we cook them in batches of at at busy times up to 24. It can go into one batch of a fryer. And then we actually have a Kanban system that uh, if you run out of chicken, um, an empty pan goes back to the breader. And that is his signal to bread more chicken. And you already have a reserve pan that's that's less than 20 minutes. And then uh, basically, if we're in high demand, those pans rotate faster and uh, and amps up our production. And if we're in a period of low demand in the afternoon, then those plans rotate slower and uh, that throttles down our production. So so we use a Kanban system, but our, our chicken has a whole time of 20 minutes. And so you are pulling when, but we don't make a sandwich until it's ordered. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. we don't uh, toast ahead there. So once an order comes in, the bun's toasted. So it's always freshly toasted. Uh, you put the pickles on it, you put the chicken on it, and you uh, put it in a foil bag and pass it out. And so our goal is to to really make sandwiches to order. During busy times, we have certain allowable amounts that you can uh, go ahead and put in the chute just to ramp up for a busy time. But we really try to limit that so that uh, customers are getting hot, fresh product. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's only, I mean, that, that allows for customization. I remember in business school operation strategy, they talk about uh, what they call postponement strategies, where there there are certain components that are common, um, but then kind of delaying the final customization, the final assembly as close to the customer um, helps deliver speed and variety, right? Exactly. And, you know, so any of our deluxe sandwiches, which have lettuce, cheese, and tomato on it, those, you know, uh, we don't like to put those on the chicken until right when the customer is ready for it. 
all of our grilled chicken is made to order. Um, our salads, we produce bases, but then we put the toppings on them right at the last minute when, when a customer orders them. So, uh, so we try to do a balance between uh, being fast, but also uh, maintaining freshness. Yeah. So, um, you know, whether it's drive-through lanes or other improvements, let's say inside um, the stores and, and locations, some of those things sound like engineering projects. And in, in the article, you talk about kind of the balance or the transition from engineer-driven projects to engaging every employee as uh, a lean thinker, a practitioner, uh, an improvement person. Can, can you kind of share a little bit about that that balance or that evolution and what you and Chick-fil-A have learned? Yeah. So this this has been a, a breakthrough for us. So so uh, I think most of us came from a background where you you know you go to engineering school for four years, you learn the ropes for a couple of years on your job, and then you actually now are qualified to begin to come up with uh, improvements for your organization, and uh, that's a really expensive way. So you've got uh, highly paid engineers, um, and you know we used to have like six IEs for one tire plant. Now I've got eight IEs for uh, $10 billion worth of sales over 2,200 manufacturing locations. So you only get to deploy those expensive resources on very top, you know, problems that, that nobody else knows how to solve. Well, what that leaves is a ton of problems that anybody who's got a lean mindset could absolutely solve. And so one is it would cost too much to, to have, you know, another hundred engineers working on everything that could be worked on. Uh, certainly that's not scalable that, you know, Hey, every time we had a restaurant, we need to add an engineer. And then uh, the other thing is it's too slow. So right now we do about 40 projects. We, we have about 40 projects on our plate and, and that and I've mentioned the IE part. We've got about two dozen engineers that, that uh, prototype and validate and launch things out. Uh, so we're working on 40 projects, but there's way more than 40 um, opportunities in the restaurant. So what we did is we said, hey, w one of the eight waste uh, is your team members. What, what creativity and skills do they have working in the Gimba every day, seeing the process every day, why aren't we making them an army of lean thinkers to solve their own problems? And mm -hmm. we found that that, that, you know, it's not costly. Uh, they're already doing the work and they're seeing the improvements. It's infinitely scalable, especially if you have a way where they can share ideas with each other. And then it's way faster than, uh, you know, it coming up to uh, priority for, for a paid engineer to work on. So I'm, I'm curious, before we get into some of the process of how you engage the owner operators and, and the team members in different ways, are, are, can you share some examples? Like, do you have some favorite examples of, um, you know, team member driven improvements? Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. So, so, I mean, the, the, they come up with great ideas. So I've got just a, a quick list of some right here. So Chick-fil-A has a mobile app that debuted about two years ago. Uh, and here's the deal with it. If you, if you pay with your phone, like off of your credit card, then you automatically scan the app 
if you want to pay with cash or you just want to pay with a, a normal uh, credit card not linked to your phone, well, then people would often forget to scan their app, which gives them points for, for free food. And so what was going on, it was, it was really clogging up our, our system, was that as this came, thing came out and people wanted their points and they forgot to pay, they're standing in line realizing right after they paid that they didn't scan their app and at that point, it's you know it's it's already passed in the process, or, or maybe they even come back up later and they ask the cashier, "Hey, I didn't get my points. How can I do that?" And so our friendly team members would you know explain to that person one on one how you can go on website and and get credit for that transaction. Well, it was just taking up a lot of time, and uh, it might be really nice to that customer to explain to them. But the customer who's really just wants to order their food and keep going is now waiting on this thing that is not our main process. And so a team member came up with the idea that, hey, there's a customizable field that you can, you know, your store can decide what gets printed on it on a receipt. You know, a lot of them just say, have a nice day or something like that. And they said, hey, why don't we put the website on the receipt, every receipt, and then when a customer comes up, all we have to do is say, hey, on the bottom of your receipt, it'll tell you how to get credit for your order. And team member came up with that. They shared it on our, our Lean Facebook site, which is how we share ideas. It immediately got uh, 600 comments saying, wow, this happens in our store all the time. We need to do this. Uh, we liked it so much. We, we sent out a communication to the whole chain and said, hey, here's this. And I would almost guarantee if you go into a Chick-fil-A today, at the bottom of your receipt, it'll say, forgot to scan, go to this website. So there's there's one of my favorites. Uh, another thing, we had a team member who uh, said, hey, we make a lot of biscuits. Why do we uh, only cookie cut them out one at a time? And so they actually welded six of our biscuit cutters together so that they could just press one time and get six biscuits. Oh, wow. We had some concerns about that from a standpoint of, hey, the, you know, we don't know who's welding that. We don't know if that's food mm -hmm. safe. We don't mm -hmm. want welds, you know, pieces dropping off in the biscuits. But we love the idea. And so we mm -hmm. actually took their idea and, and developed a plastic uh, biscuit, multi-biscuit roller that now you just roll it out like a rolling pin and it cuts every bit of dough into biscuits. Wow. Um, uh, another one. So it's, so, so, it's, so it's like a six pack of of cans or this similar kind of. I'm just trying to kind of visualize. Yeah. So, so no, the new thing that that was the that was the original prototype that a team member came up with. Yeah. We came up with is basically a rolling pin that has. Oh, it okay. Just roll it all the way across, and you cut like 20 biscuits. And by the time you've rolled it to the end, so that's even better. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know that's that's the essence of lean is let's take let's take an idea and build on it. So, well, I love that. And I mean, from what I hear, for one, is challenging the way we've always done it. Biscuits have been cut, I'm sure, everywhere one at a time for a long time. And someone challenged that and said, "Let's make the work easier." Right. 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 I'll tell you one last one that that I think is just like it solves a need. Um, one team member came up with the idea of creating a little rack to put all of our flavors of sauces in right at the cash register, because what does everybody do when they come? They say, what kind of sauces do you have? <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to go over like our five or six sauces. And so now 
right in front of the customer eye while they're ordering, they can see we got Buffalo sauce. We got Polynesian. We've got Chick-fil-A sauce and, and they don't have to ask the question anymore. They know exactly what we have and it just speeds up that transaction a little bit and yet shows care for the guest at the same time because you're anticipating his need. Wow. So those, I, I love those examples. Um, now, you know, to, I'm, I'm curious then in terms of creating a culture, like earlier when I asked what's the need or the opportunity for lean, you know, what you described sounds like I'm guessing corporate culture that comes from the executives of, you know, if we're not improving, we're getting worse or, or thinking about keeping ahead of, of competitors in a really competitive dynamic industry. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious if you answer, if, for one, tell me if that assumption is correct. And then secondly, like, you know, because you have all the owner operators running their own businesses as part of the Chick-fil-A um, brand, and you know, how, how, do you, how do you then influence owner operators to, to utilize lean practices and to engage people when it's not the top-down well, maybe I'm asking too many questions all together. Um, so maybe it's just step back. So um, thoughts on sort of the leadership that comes from corporate around never being satisfied. You can elaborate on that first. Uh, okay, good question. So I think, I think we have a culture um, of let's satisfy the customer. And so however we can improve to do that better it is really – uh, table stakes, it, like to be hired, and you say, "Well, how did that happen?" I, I don't. We had an inspiring founder, Truett Kathy, who mm-hmm. was all about the customer. He chose operators to be in partnership with, who were going to take care of their customers. He hired staff who were going to take care of the operators, so they could take care of the customers. And then these operators went out and have selected team members who have that heart to begin with. And then it's reinforced by training of, Hey, this is what we're about here. And, and, you know, if you, if you don't want to take care of the customer, you probably don't fit in long-term and, and uh, probably self-select out. Um, And so, so I'd say that's a a culture piece of it. The the next thing I would say is uh, if you say, well, how, how does that translate into people wanting to do lean improvements? we really present it as lean helps you solve the problems that bother you. And so we really start with felt need. So we don't try to dictate to operators, Hey, you need to, you know, shave off minutes here, or you need to save some costs there. or You need to reduce your inventory. We don't tell them what to do. We basically ask them, uh, where, where is your felt need? What would you like to fix? And we want to come alongside you and give you some tools to help that. And at the team member level, it really the question we ask them is what makes your job hard? And we kind of let them follow their curiosity and, uh, and follow their pain points and, and just say, Hey, let's go after it and fix, you know, fix whatever's bothering you and, and let's resource you to do that. Yeah. So on, on that note, and I, for one, you know, I love that philosophy. That's what I, I try to teach and coach others in that, especially in getting started with improvement. Fix what bugs you, um, tapping into people's intrinsic motivation to, to do better for themselves and for the customers and for the company. And in your article, you mentioned uh, the idea of Paul Aker's book, Two Second Lean, as an influence or something you use to help introduce people to this concept, right? 
Yes, yes. In fact, uh, he's kind of a folk hero at Chick-fil-A. I think several of our operators have taken their teams out to his uh, fast cap factory, I believe, in Washington. Um, it's funny, I, I just I just clicked on uh, one of his videos the other day, and uh, he actually happened to be addressing Chick-fil-A. So, so he had had enough uh, interaction with teams coming from Chick-fil-A, and, and this wasn't a corporate thing at all. This was operators taking their team members and just wanting to develop their team and the, and the idea of lean. And Paul Akers had a shout out to Chick-fil-A and how, you know, how impressed he was with some of the things they were doing. So uh, I, I love his book. It, 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 you know, takes it down to the basic level of everybody can do lean. Uh, it's got applications in every area. And so we've definitely used that book. Uh, you know, he, he's such an enthusiastic speaker for it. I, I've, you know, listen to his book once a year on audio just to kind of fire me up of, hey, are we doing everything we can be doing? Well, and and for listeners who are maybe new to this podcast series, Paul was my guest in episode 136, where we talked about Two Second Lean. That was back in 2012. So if wow. you want to listen to that, you can go to leanblog.org slash 136. And, 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 and David, if you want to, you know, you, you can tell people... Uh, yeah, you, you you and you and Paul have both been in the same podcast series. That that oh, might, that's, that might that's impressive. People, that might make some people smile there. <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive. I'm I'm in great company. Yeah. So um, so you talk about you know this idea of creating pull. Um, I'm sure the owners and operators have things that bug them, and then the frontline employees have things that that bug them. And I, I'd like to come back to some of this, but one other dynamic I'm I'm curious about. In you know, kind of uh, you know, a franchise owner operator model, when Chick Fil A corporate and the engineers and you have innovations or improvement projects, how how much of that is uh, you know pushed on the owner operators where they have to accept that improvement? Or I'm I'm just curious how some of that dynamic works. So. Yeah, obviously, we're, when we're in the food service business, and this probably certainly applies to healthcare and other places, you can't have everybody just improving the process to the point that, hey, maybe we don't need to cook the chicken as long. Maybe we don't need to cook it as hot. Maybe we don't need to use this kind of oil. Uh, you, you would quickly devolve into uh, uh, low quality, if not, you know, dangerous situation. And so, so we, so basically, um, we have controls on how we let people do things. So, so we call that a sandbox and we have certain things you can work on certain things you shouldn't work on just because there's more information than a team member or a franchisee would have at their disposal, uh, that they could be changing. Uh, as far as the idea of, of, pull, it, it really is because of this culture of people want you know, to, satisfy their customers and we kind of give them this freedom to do it. Uh, there is a pull from restaurants to want to learn lean principles. And so we've kind of taken the tack of rather than pushing something out uh, as far as a training, we, we kind of let them come to us and ask for it. And that helps our resources. If, if a store is not ready for it yet, they're focusing on other things, then, then we're not investing in, in them that they're just going to, come learn some things and then let it sit on the shelf for two years. But the ones who are hungry for it come right away and, and uh, get value out of it. Is, am I answering the question you were asking? Well, so um, 
Yeah, I'm curious if if it's something like, um, let, let's say, you know, engineers and, and corporate decide that it, we, we need to change some of the physical layout of the drive-through lanes to allow that exit. Like, yeah. how, how much? I'm just curious in in the agreement with the owner operators, how how often can corporate say basically you need to do this? It's good for your business and it's going to be part of the standard Chick Fil A experience versus things that they have choice about implementing. Ah, uh, great, great question. Um, so uh, really our secret sauce is our franchise model and, and the, the agreement that Inc. has with, with franchisees. So I'll, I'll just throw out a couple of things. So first of all, yes, it does have to be a cohesive system. We want the Chick-fil-A experience to be the same everywhere you go. We don't want some group saying, Hey, we do full service and we do self-service and those kinds of things. We want Chick-fil-A to be, you know, what you're going to get when you go there. Um, part of that is Inc. pays for all of the uh, facility, uh, the restaurant and the equipment. So like if we do come out with a new menu item that requires some specialized equipment, Inc. actually rolls all that out. So, mm-hmm. so that, that, uh, doesn't put a burden on the operator to to pay for, for some new piece of equipment. Um, hmm. But then at the same time, so, so, so there are a lot of controls, but at the same time, the strength of our operators is that they are incredibly entrepreneurial. Uh, so many of our breakout products uh, have come from operators thinking up something. So many of our breakthrough uh, ideas and pieces of equipment have come from Operators saying, hey, there's got to be a better way than this. So we really have a healthy respect for their entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And there are meetings that go on all around the week of, hey, this operator has thought of this. Do we have any concerns with him doing that? And then there's, you know, experts that say, hey, how does this affect food safety, food quality, people safety? speed, space, complexity, capacity, we kind of look through all these lenses and, and say, hey, uh, it's a great idea, but it, it's probably going to change this and we don't want to do that. And then what we'll often do is when somebody has a great idea, we will uh, kind of inaugurate them as a partner with us and we will come in and observe what they're doing. We will give some some guidelines and sometimes we have to shut down tests and say, hey, that's not the direction we want to go. Sometimes we say, "Hey, this is such a great idea. We better, we better get on board with it and and help you know uh, accelerate figuring it out so we can roll it out to the whole chain." Mm-hmm. And there is just this healthy respect of, "Hey, operators are the ones who uh, who make the money, who serve the customers, who who give us all a job. So let's uh, let's get behind what they're doing and and help them succeed." Yeah. So um, can you elaborate a little bit? You, you touched on and you elaborated on this in the article, um, you know, the, the, the idea of sound bo- sandbox boundaries. Um, you, you mentioned some of it around food safety and, and the product, but can you share a little bit more about some of the things that are considered out of bounds and what happens if there's an idea um, that can't be implemented for some reason? I think you've touched on this a little bit, but I was wondering if you just kind of elaborate, maybe share another example. Yeah, so um, some people who hear that we we let 150,000 team members, many of whom are, you know, age 16 to 18, 
uh, do lean improvements. Uh, and, and by the way, we make food that uh, goes out to 3 million people a day. Yeah. Uh, that can get a little scary. And uh, we have a very healthy um, respect for, you know, what, what the, the position that we're in uh, in terms of serving food. And so basically what we did is we said, hey, we, we do need a sandbox of improvements that team members can do versus things that are off limits. And so sandbox uh, is just mean that that's the place you can play in. And uh, so we have four boundaries that team members or operators are not allowed to cross. They can't do anything that impacts food safety, product quality, people safety, probably should have said these in, in the right order, people safety, food safety, product quality, or equipment uh, warranty. And so if something affects one of those, we have the right and the responsibility to uh, just say, hey, you, you, this has some unintended consequences and, and you're not allowed to do that. So uh, I mentioned a couple of things. If you were to say, hey, let's cook the chicken for less time and we can, you know, we can be faster. No, that affects food safety. Or let's, you know, instead of holding something only four hours, why don't we hold it? eight hours. No, that affects food safety. So you don't have the right to play with those things because there's a lot of specialized knowledge that goes into whether that could be changed or not. And we've got people on staff who do do that. Uh, and, and we don't need, you know, uh, team member level experimenting with things that they're just not, you know, uh, qualified in, in changing. So food safety, people safety, we have lots of great ideas that come up about, hey, let's store, you know, this box of of seldom used thing way up at the top of the restaurant and we can get more storage space in our restaurant. And we've just decided, you know, the risk of having to climb up ladders in the restaurant is not worth the extra storage space. And so we set guidelines and say, hey, don't don't store thing anything above this height in the restaurant and things like that would be an example of food safety. Um, product quality had a, uh, team member who came up with a great idea of how to re how to mix lemonade, same ingredients, same ratios. Um, but to save the time of water filling up the bucket, he was going to add things in a different order. And it turns out, uh, the order is important. It, it helps the sugar dissolve when the lemon juice is already in there. And so we said, Hey, great idea. Thanks for thinking of ways to do it faster. But to get our signature taste, we need to put the ingredients in this order. And then the last one's uh, equipment warranty. So uh, one idea that came out um, was, uh, and, and it's funny, when, when these ideas come out and you don't think through the consequences, they, they tend to go viral very quickly. So people all of a sudden, every restaurant's turning the vent hood on the bottom of their ice cream machine around to face the back, to face the wall. And what it was, the advantage for them was it, no air wasn't blowing out the bottom of it, blowing napkins and bags around anymore. Uh, The bad thing was (laughs) it was designed that way so that the hot air would get away from the machine and not just collect behind the machine. And so we saw that, check with the manufacturer. They said, yep, nope, that'll wear out the motor faster. And so we had to issue a polite cease and desist uh, to yeah. say, hey, don't do not do things that avoid the equipment warranty. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of elements I, I, I hear you saying there. One is um, feedback loops. And, and Kaizen 
doesn't give people carte blanche to do whatever they want, that sometimes you need to um, give feedback. Um, In your lemonade example, it sounds like there's kind of this respectful process of instead of just saying, don't do that, of explaining why and, and helping people understand why the order matters, which seems to be an important part of a respectful lean culture, right? Right. But and, your, your, your lemonade example made me think of, um, and it's been a while, and some of the people I knew at Starbucks have left, but uh, you know, Starbucks, Tim Hortons, some other um, you know, fast service restaurants have embraced lean to different degrees. And, and the one example when um, some of the Starbucks lean leaders, someone in a parallel role like yours, we would go to a, um, one of the Starbucks stores and they would point out one of the ideas that baristas might use to speed things up is to brew the espresso directly into the paper cup right. that the beverage is going to be made into because you think, oh, well, that eliminates a step and we, we it eliminates motion and we don't have to clean the espresso shot glasses as much. But that's another thing where Starbucks was convinced that the method really mattered. It wasn't just the ingredients all getting into the cup, that brewing the espresso into a shot glass changed the nature of the espresso, which affected drink quality. And they would have to explain to people, I see I see where you're coming from, that yes, this is more efficient, but here's why that's not really the right idea for quality or for the customer. So I think dynamics like that um, are, are really interesting. When you've got people who are motivated and so I was going to ask you kind of along those lines, like there's this um, expression you used in the article I was going to ask you to elaborate on. I'd much rather have to restrain Mustangs than to kick mules. That, that's right. So so I, I love that Starbucks example you just gave. That, that's really part of their differentiator. And, you know, it, it, if you're not thinking holistically, you could say, oh, well, that's waste. If they could reduce some motion and some steps. But if that's what the customer wants in terms of a, better tasting drink or even a theater of, Hey, this is done with high quality stuff, not just into a paper cup, then that's part of the value proposition and, and it's not waste. So I I love that. And, and then back to your point of, um, I'd rather restrain Mustangs than kick mules. You know, we're, we're never going to have it perfect. Like, like you, if you say, Hey guys, we want ideas from you but then you punish people when they come up with an idea uh, you're going to shut down and you won't get ideas. And so you're going to have it one way or the other of people just who don't try to innovate. And we believe absolutely uh, if, if one of the eight waste is our own team members uh, creativity and skills I think about we have 150,000 eyes looking at our process every day, skilled at it, understand what we're trying to make, understand, you know, where the pain points are. We would be crazy and and extremely wasteful to not enlist that army of people who are experts on the process to improve the process. And so, yes, there will be some times when we have to say, whoa, 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 let's don't do that. But there's going to be, you know, a thousand times more that they're going to come up with something that is totally fine. And the company didn't have to spend a dime to, for that improvement to happen in that restaurant and for them to share that and other people see the value of it. 
and it just happens organically that we're doing things in a better way or they come up with a breakthrough that, you know, we add some resources to and, and come up with the next big thing. So, so we would much rather have uh, all these people improving the process and we haven't talked Mark yet. So most of this comes to light through a Facebook page and yeah, I wanted to hear more about that. Yeah. So, so I'll kind of introduce it this way. There are people who, who still just like, you know, especially in the fact that we're in food service, they're like, Oh, that sounds so risky to, to let team members do that. And my answer to them is they're doing stuff anyway, (laughs) at least with the Facebook page and a reward system and a way to share ideas and be recognized. At least I have some visibility into it before they would have just done it and I wouldn't have known it was happening. So, so uh, it's, it's, it's actually no more risky than just, uh, you know, not having a way to share ideas. And so then Facebook um, site is used for people. Um, they, they can like ideas. They, I mean, how, how often do you see ideas, improvements just spreading organically through that communication platform? Yeah. So, so what, what the way we, introduce lean to our, our restaurants is an operator's interested in it. He asked for a one day class. Somebody goes out and teaches his class, uh, teaches a class in maybe 10 restaurants and, you know, several key team members who are very influential in their stores come and the operator comes and they teach them one day on how to see waste and some tools to improve waste and things like that. And so at the end of that day, uh, they, are told about an internal Facebook page. It's called the Lean uh, Initiative, Chick-fil-A Lean Initiative Facebook page. And uh, you get invited to it once you've been through this class. And so everybody's kind of got a basic understanding of Lean and what, you know, what kind of uh, improvements go on there. We've kind of said, hey, to keep this site pristine about improvements, don't go on there and just ask, Hey, what do you guys order this? And, you know, don't let's, let's keep it that every post is a meaningful post about an improvement. And so what happens is team members just for the love of their job and for the love of wanting to help another restaurant, you know, do something that they figured out. They, they put a picture and a post describing an improvement. And so it can be the way they've organized their, uh, condiment shelves. It can be, you know, how they put a Kanban system in for things that they only order once in a while. It can be the, the scan, um, forgot to scan, put that on the bottom of your seat. And then what happens is everybody sees that and it, it becomes this thing where if you like it and you say, Hey, I want to do that in my restaurant just hit like you can say hey a lot of people times people will tag people in their restaurant that will be responsible for that area to let them know about it so the more likes and comments a post has it generally means wow that was a great idea and so I have an engineer who goes in once a month and just looks at everything that's been posted and there's usually about 60 posts a month and then you know there'll be one or two of them that kind of went viral we'll have you know more than 100 likes and the other thing that happens is they self-police each other. So, so when somebody says something that, that somebody else can recognize, hey, that's not food safe, people safe, uh, 
uh, is going to hurt product quality or is going to void equipment warranty, they'll police each other and, and an operator will come on and say, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. You shouldn't do that for this reason. And then, you know, by the time three other people pile on and say, yeah, let's don't do that. Well, then that kind of serves as a, hey, don't don't do that. And, and they kind of mm-hmm. police themselves. Interesting. Wow. Um, yeah, I wonder, I, I'm curious, I'm, I'm really curious how many other companies are using Facebook as a platform like that. I guess your employees generally already have access to Facebook and you're able to keep that private. There's no, uh, I, I guess that seems to be working well for you, right? And, and you know, that actually was, there, there was this dream of we need an app where team members can take pictures and post them and vote, upvote ideas and that kind of thing. And uh, and some operators said, well, we don't have a year to wait for you guys to come up with some app that every team member could have on their phone. We're just going to use Facebook. And that was one of those lean improvements of why invest a whole lot. Here's this tool that will work for what we need. And uh, we were not in the business of saying, no, you can't do this. I, I When it started and it went viral, I put an engineer on it and said, every month on the last day of the month, I want you to summarize everything that's been on there. If there's anything that is, you know, dangerous or something to be concerned about, uh, I want, you know, you to send that up through the chain to who, who might need to speak into it. And uh, it, it's just worked out fine. And again, the, the, it's the idea of, oh, that sounds a little bit risky. What if a team member writes something on there that, you know, ends up being not the right thing to do. And, and again, my answer to that is, well, they were probably doing it anyway. At least now mm-hmm. we have visibility mm-hmm. into it and can, and can take some action. Yeah. Well, so the last question uh, I wanted to ask, and we, we can wrap up on this. You, you mentioned rewards and I'm, I'm curious if you can sort of talk about why it's important to celebrate wins, to celebrate participation. How, how do you find a balance between recognition, rewards, both? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think our our goal as a company is, you know, we want to we want to encourage people to do things that that help us with our goals, and certainly lean improvements are are key to that. And so, uh, we just want to celebrate good work. And so mm-hmm. the, the way we do it is very often is through the Facebook page. Um, when, when, um, when the idea came up about putting the forgot to scan text at the bottom of your app, the company, and this, this wasn't heading, didn't have anything to do with engineering. It was somebody in marketing said, Hey, one, we need to make an article and tell every restaurant they can do this. Cause not everybody's on the lean Facebook page. And two, we ought to celebrate that team member who came up with the idea. And so they went and found out, you know, who originally thought of it and posted on the lean Facebook page. They made it an article about lean improvement. They made it an article about here's a great idea, you know? And so that team member, he probably didn't get any money or anything out of it, but he got recognition that the whole company thought what he did was a great idea. We've also done some contests. Uh, I love it. So, so we had a issue that, my engineering team was thinking about of we got so many dishes and some of them are only for breakfast and some of them are only for lunch, dinner and, and team members are telling us it it takes a long time to close the restaurant at night and get ready for breakfast in the morning. And so we had ideas of, Hey, I'm sure there are people who are doing this better than 
than we even know how to think about it. And so we ran a little contest for a month and said, hey, we want your best ideas on how to transition from dinner at night till breakfast in the morning. We want time-saving ideas. We want how you, you know, what checklist, whatever you do. And we're going to give a $100 gift card to whoever gets the most likes. And so it kind of created this fun little competition. You had all these ideas coming out of the woodwork of how people Kanban their dishes, how people set up a cart that, you know, everything that needs to come out in the morning, they leave it in the same place. And so you're ready to sit up in the morning, all these great ideas. And team members got to comment on each other and build off of their ideas. And so for $100, and we celebrated the person who, who won it, we did a little video interview with them and thanked them for their idea. And we generated a ton of ideas for us to, you know, uh, sift through and decide what, what might be a, a whole chain-wide program. Well, it's very cool to hear about what everyone is doing at Chick-fil-A. And, and, and David, I want to thank you for um, taking time to, uh, to, be, to be on the podcast to share what's going on. And uh, I think it's all really exciting. So do, do you have any, any other kind of final, final comments uh, for the listeners? I, I tell you, I I think Lean is a great tool set. I think uh, it's a shame if everybody in your company is not using it. I, we found that team members want to know. We feel like we're building in them a valuable skill set for the future if we train them on Lean. And I, I think the thing that's been the most surprising to me is our Lean Kickstart, which is a one-day class, like from nine to four, where we bring team members in from different restaurants. We tell them what lean is. We spend about two hours on the eight wastes. Then we challenge them to make a list for like five minutes of waste in your restaurant. Then we uh, share that list that came out of that one class with every group. And so they all end up with about 60 waste that they have thought of in their restaurants. And then we, teach them 5S, we teach them spaghetti diagrams, we teach them how to how to measure things uh, with pedometers and stopwatches and those kind of things. And and then uh, we kind of have just a, 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 you know, by the end of the day, you're equipped to go and start a project. And then there's a couple of paths if you want to go deeper. And we have seen so many complete culture changes in the restaurant of people looking to improve waste in, you know, to, to reduce waste in their restaurant. And I, I think it's going to just get bigger and bigger over time. And it's going to be a competitive uh, differentiator for us that when you have a whole team of frontline workers who are thinking about the process through the eyes of lean, um, you're just going to leave everybody else in the dust. And so I think it's a, it's something every company should make sure that uh, their frontline people are thinking that way. Great advice, whether, whether you're a, a gazelle or a lion, either way. Um, David Reed has been our guest today, um, author of an article that was published in the IISE magazine titled From Lean Modules to a Lean Mindset. Chick-fil-A success shows how leveraging your greatest asset speeds up cultural change. And unfortunately, I believe the article is only available to IISE members. Um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do uh, the podcast and, and sort of help share 
these stories uh, for those who, who can't see the article. But David, uh, thank you again so much for your time. Really great talking to you. And um, thanks for what you shared. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, they did give me the article to post like on my LinkedIn. So you can see it on my LinkedIn, David B. Reed, uh, R-E-I-D. Oh, great. And I will definitely, for for listeners, go to the blog post for this episode and I will um, make sure it's pointed to um, to David's LinkedIn page and um, that'll help others read it. So thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. And thanks again for being a guest. Thanks, Mark. It's been great. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.